bring us a message. Well, this morning's reading comes from Philemon. I'll be reading the whole of the book. Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier at the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I heard of your love and of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Finally, Epaphras, my, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Very good morning to you folks and uh, welcome to church. Can I also say welcome to those who are uh, watching us via live stream. I want to give a special shout out today to a couple, Andrew and, and Tamara Abbas, who are a very important part of this church for many years. Today, living in, in Emerald, and they watch this service regularly. They celebrate 25 years of marriage this coming Tuesday. Uh, it may be a feature of growing old, but I can remember their courtship and their marriage like it was yesterday. So, um, congratulations, Andy and Tamara. Well, we're turning our attention today to the book of uh, Philemon, which is closely linked to the book of Colossians. Let me pray and we'll come back and begin to unpack this. 
Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray that great grace might be given us, Lord, as we seek to understand what this book is about and what it means for us, Lord God, here 2,000 or so years later. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, minister to the heart of each one gathered here, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll call this uh, Gospel Subverts Culture. It's a, uh, a case study. Back in the mid-1980s, Wendy and I were privileged to have a ministry in Nambour among people of a kind of a subculture. They were all friends scattered throughout the township. Many of them were unemployed. Many of them were on various benefits. And they lived in blended families, though very few couples were married. It was a very close-knit community, uh, though the relationships sometimes were a little volatile. But we had very fond memories of this ministry. One couple was just marvellously converted, and they ended up coming to this church, and they immediately wanted their friends to know Jesus like they had come to know him. So Wendy and I were asked to start a midweek Bible study. I still have visions of sitting in this big house, high ceilings, clouds and clouds of cigarette smoke and, and, the, and the gospel. Bikies walking in and out and all kinds of marvellous things. We did this for quite some time. We ran Christianity Explained studies from house to house and God, God moved. We, we, we saw many people profess faith in Christ. We conducted marriages and kids were coming to youth group and, and on it went. Now, one weekend, we were asked to conduct Christianity Explains, uh, the, the Christianity Explains series for a, a couple who were friends of some of these people who were passing through Nambour in a hurry. Now, you've got to really stop at Nambour for a while to really enjoy it, but they were passing through in a hurry. We had two days to do six studies. Now, that is not how you do Christianity Explained. CE is designed to have one study per week, time for reading in between, time to digest what you've heard, one study per week, but sometimes you do what you do. This couple were in a great hurry. That's not the ideal way you do it, but we do what we did. During the course of the studies, we, we discovered why they were in a hurry. It seems that he was on the run from the authorities down south. Now, during the studies, we kind of, I think to, to ease Wendy and my anxiety, we were told that um, what he'd done wasn't sort of on the top 10 sort of list of really, really bad things and our lives weren't in danger. So we, we, we decided to, to, uh, to, to continue. And three studies, Saturday afternoon, three Sunday afternoon, very, very intense. And the CE was completed and they were gone heading for the top end. If he'd become a follower of Jesus through those studies, would he have gone back down south and turned himself into the authorities? Well, we were just left to wonder. They came and gone so quickly. Well, a man here called Onesimus is also on the run. He's an escaped slave. Now, the ESV will use the term bondservant. In the Roman Empire, bondservant, servant, slave, all the same word, the word doulos. This guy is a slave he's become a follower of Jesus and he's about to turn himself in Philemon is a book 
from which one could, I suppose, preach on the evils of slavery, and one certainly could, but it's not written that way. It's a, a story, and it's a story very closely linked to the book of Colossians, which we've been studying here at Grace Budrum. As Clint reminded us, the key verses in Colossians are in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to walk in him or continue to live in him, continue to follow him. So Philemon is a a story, a, a case study of the working out of the challenge to the followers of Jesus to keep walking in Jesus, to keep following in him, to apply Jesus' teachings right into your lives. So it being a story, I'll tell it, uh, as a story now the first point is the the background the year is about ad 60 to 62 or thereabouts and the paul paul is writing from uh prison in rome i think we have a picture somewhere of the uh relationship between rome and 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 jerusalem he's he's um in prison where he spends quite some time and having been arrested in Judea where his his presence as a converted Pharisee was causing an uproar amongst the traditionalist Jews. They saw him as a threat to their religion and a threat to their culture, though he was merely a follower of Christ and a faithful preacher of God's word. That's all he was, but they saw him as a threat. So he spent two years under house arrest at Caesarea and they they actually, actually popped him in in King Herod's summer palace under house arrest. Now, if you've got to be in prison for two years, I reckon King Herod's palace is a pretty good place. It's got a beautiful swimming pool at the front, runs down to the sea, and so Paul didn't, wasn't too shabby. But Paul, suspecting that for the sake of expedience, the Romans are going to turn him over to the justice of the Jewish religious leaders, who would, who would summarily kill him, he appealed his case to, to Caesar, Paul is a Roman citizen. He has that right to appeal to Caesar. And so he appeals to Caesar and to Rome he goes. And the book of Acts ends with Paul living under house arrest in Rome, preaching the gospel to all comers. He says that the gospel has gone right into the very highest echelons of the house of Caesar himself. And so there he wrote his prison letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. And so the letter of Philemon goes to Philemon in Colossae. With Paul, he tells us, are Epaphras, Aristarchus, John Mark, Damas and Luke, some of the luminaries in that city. Epaphras also is a prisoner in Rome. He's the man through whom God established the church in Colossae. Now, during Paul's missionary journey, his third missionary journey, uh, he spent about three years in, in Ephesus, proclaiming the gospel he started off in the synagogue as he always did got chucked out moved sort of next door to the to a a, a lecture theater that was called the lecture hall of tyrannus now i expect that that was a nickname for that lecture hall because the word tyrannus means tyrant and i suppose the students had sort of uh, named the uh, principal the, the tyrant and so it became the lecture hall of the tyrant you remember how at school you gave nicknames to your principals? We, we had a... I went to Nambour High School and back in my day there was a very fine fellow who was principal, Tom Ma. Anybody here remember Tom Ma? Go back too far, I think. 
Tom Ma was a really, really big man, and, and he, was, uh, he, he, loved the church, he loved the school farm. And he'd spent much time down on the farm, and he used to wear this very, very big hat. So to us, he was always Texas Tom. And so we give our principal's name. This poor chap was called the tyrant. Well, in Acts 19, verse 10, Luke tells us that during that time that Paul is ministering in Ephesus, all, basically all, the residents of, of Asia, Asia Minor, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word of the, of the Lord spread across the province. People who heard Paul and were converted took the gospel back to their home cities and towns. That's, by the way, how those seven churches of Revelation came into being. They're all in Asia Minor. The gospel flowed out from Ephesus into those towns. Epaphras preached Christ in Colossae. We're told that in Colossians 1.7. And a church there was born. Now, from prison, Paul writes this letter back to Colossae to this man named Philemon. Beloved, his name means. But he also greets Aphia and Archippus. See, Rome over on the left-hand side, that's where he is. Israel right down on the bottom right-hand corner. So he greets Aphia and Archippus, leading some to believe that perhaps Aphia and Archippus are Philemon's mum and dad. It's possible. Some also believe that Archippus is a pastor. There's a church that meets in his home, and Paul describes him as a fellow soldier. Whoever they are, they're very closely associated with Philemon. It's a, it's a wealthy household. It's, the house is big enough to, to hold church services, and they have slaves. Now, as is the custom of the time, Paul introduces his letter with um, the usual pleasantries. He opens by directing his attention to the entire household. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at this point, he's using plural you. Paul has no trouble with his, uh, with his pronouns. It's a plural you, and he's talking to the whole family. And thereafter, after verse 3, he uses you singular, directing his thoughts to Philemon, thanking God for him, assuring him of his prayers, and acknowledging how much joy he has received from hearing of Philemon's good works and the works that accompany faith. Well, point two, big problem for a useful slave. Onesimus, Philemon's slave, has absconded. He's run away and he's turned up in Rome. Now, we need to pause for a moment here and think about slavery in the first century Roman Empire. When we hear mention of the word slavery, we think of the cotton fields and slavery based upon skin color, those terrible practices where people were mistreated and abused and used purely by the, on the basis of the color of their skin. Now, I think such an offense, such a, a practice rather, a slavery based upon skin color is an offense against God's word. God teaches that all races were created from one couple, Adam and Eve, making us all equal. And then for one person to own another is a, is a further offense. It strips a person of their their rights as a human being and as a creation of God. But put out of your minds the idea of this slavery from the, the cotton fields that we know so much about. Slavery in the first century Roman Empire was 
not quite like that. It's been estimated that between 30 and 40% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And people became slaves usually from one of three reasons. Many of those slaves were prisoners of war. The Romans had conquered country after country after country and gathered prisoners upon prisoners. They didn't put them away in a concentration camp somewhere. They, uh, if they didn't execute them, they would, they would uh, sell them and put them to work. Prisoners of war. And Rome had slaves from France, Spain, North Africa, Syria, Germany, Britain, Greece, etc., etc. Now, we have had slavery here on the Sunshine Coast, that kind of slavery. My father often told me how during the Second World War, prisoners of war Italians in, in particular, especially Italians, were sent here to work on the farms in the Budrum district. Essentially slaves, they couldn't go home, they were kind of owned by the country. And so they worked on these farms. I tell you what though, it was a very decent kind of slavery because the Budrum farmers would pay them and then they would uh, give them money to go to the pictures on Saturday night by themselves and go to the shops on Friday by themselves. So it wasn't a bad kind of slavery, but similar. It was prisoners of war. Well, in Rome, other people became slaves because they were criminals. They were felons who were serving their time. If they weren't executed, they were sold and they would work out their, their time as, as slaves Thirdly, there were the, the bankrupts, people who were working off debts. Sometimes they would sell themselves into slavery to pay for debt. So there were those three reasons you became a slave. Uh, prisoners of war, uh, criminals, and, and bankrupts. Strong men, especially, but bought uh, good prices. They would work very hard. They had relatively low life expectancy. But some were very well treated. Some became you know, major domos in the house. Some became accountants and doctors and what have you. But slaves must not run away. They must not abscond. And the people of the Roman Empire were forbidden to harbour runaway slaves. Bounty hunters made a very good living out of catching runaways and, and bringing them back. And the penalties for absconding included flogging, whipping, being burnt with a branding iron, and in the worst cases, execution. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He has a Greek name, uh, but he's not necessarily a Greek. We don't quite know what his background is. His name is probably given to, to him by his master. You buy a slave, you want him to work very hard for you, what do you call him? Call him useful. Onesimus means useful, so he gives this guy the name useful, I suppose hoping that he will live up to his name. And Paul even uses his name as a pun. Speaking about Onesimus, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, an escaped slave, of course, is of no use, but now he is useful to you and me. Meanwhile, Onesimus is in big trouble. Come to point three, where culture meets Christ. Onesimus somehow made it to Rome. Pretty fair kind of a trip around across there, across the sea, whatever he did. Stowed away on a ship. We don't know quite how, but in Rome he meets the Apostle Paul. He, I suspect he may even have sought him out. 
he would have known in, from Colossae all about Paul's ministry and the influence he had in Colossae. Whatever it was, he finds, he finds Paul in Rome. And through Paul's ministry, Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus, which is why Paul describes him as useful to me. Prisoners like Paul under house arrest, they were expected to provide for all their needs. Their food, their drink, their clothing had to be brought in by their friends. And I guess probably Onesimus was involved in making himself useful to Paul by providing his needs. But through the gospel, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the runaway slave has now become one in Christ with his master. Philemon's also a Christian. And Paul teaches, we know elsewhere, that in Christ there is no no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, all are one in Christ. Now, the very idea in the Roman Empire of of a slave becoming the equal of his master was, uh, was virtually unheard of. But in and through the gospel, it happens. It overturns cultural norms as it still does today. Christ and his teaching overpowers culture, it improves culture. In Christ there are no barriers of class, no barriers of race or nationality or gender or employment status. You can go as a believer to other parts of the world and be immediately received as equals by them because of faith in Christ. Now I know that in Australia from the time of European settlement we've been basically a, a, an egalitarian Society. We believe in the equality of all people. You know, Jack's as good as his master. That was, a great, that was a great break, by the way, from the culture of Britain. In Australia, Jack was as good as his master. So the changes are not quite so obvious here when a, when a worker becomes a Christian like his, like his uh, employer. But in some parts of the world, those differences are, are starkly obvious. I love... Um, telling a bit of uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church history. Many of the critics today of Christianity uh, label Christianity as an imperialistic tool of white colonialism. Our denomination was born out of an Aboriginal church. How's that? The other way around. Over in Brookton in Western Australia, you'll find a little church called Calvary Presbyterian Church. It, it went from being an independent church to becoming the first church in WPC. And we are here today because of the Aboriginal folk of Calvary Presbyterian Church in Brookton. I owe it to those folk there for my first public prayer. I, when Wendy and I were quite brand new believers, we were, we were taken up to Brookton, 100 or so miles from Perth, to a midweek Bible study in the folks' home there. Wonderful study, had a great time. And... Uh, I was um, basically shy and anxious and I had never spoken or prayed in public and certainly wouldn't if I could avoid it. At the end of the Bible study, they announced that there would be a prayer time. I thought, that's cool, I'll keep my head down and uh, they can pray and I won't and no no one will ever notice. just, Just go by me. However, as often happens in these circumstances, they began praying, guess what? Around in a circle. And I knew was going to come to me and I was sweating really really sweating what am I going to do well I frantically sort of scribbled out a few notes in the back of my bible they're still there and 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 I prayed 
My first prayer was prayed in, uh, in, in Brookton. I, I owe the folk there for that prayer. Then I also preached my first sermon there back in 1979. Now I can report that the church is still there despite my sermon. So we owe them so much. We, the denomination, we as people, all one in Christ. I recall one of the Brookton elders saying, yeah, there's been some really bad, th- bad things in the past of, you know, of colonization and all this stuff. But he said, I'm so thankful that through colonization, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ came to my people. And it did. So Brookton people today, they minister in their own town to their own district and overseas. They've been up to Myanmar and are very, very warmly up there. The, uh, the Myanmar folk warmly receive us. But the indigenous folk from Australia are warmly, warmly received by them. They just love them. And so they've, they've ministered way beyond our borders. We are all one in Christ. There is no barrier. There's no, you know, Philemon and, and Anesimus. They are one in Christ. I joined the Air Force in 1967. I was posted to a recruit training unit in, in Adelaide. When you join the Air Force as a recruit, you are the lowest of the low. You are the dregs in the bottom of the cup. You really are. And about that time that I arrived there, there was a changeover of commanding officers. The one that had been there for a while and was going and a new one was coming. We called the new guy Snoopy because he was always hiding behind trees. But anyway, Snoopy. But many years later, I met the commanding officer who had left about the time that I arrived. In fact, he began to attend this very church. And he would sit here week by week and he would hear the gospel from me and apply it to his life. If I had met him at number one recruit training unit back in 1967, I'd have been terrified, terrified. Here, we were one in Christ, we were equals, and we became very good friends. Well, Philemon, the master, and Onesimus, the slave, are one in Christ. And Paul Paul elsewhere encourages Christians who are slaves to gain their freedom if they can. Via, not run away, but by legitimate means. Buy your way out, ask your master to free you. In 1 Corinthians 7.21, where he speaks of slaves, he says, if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. If you can get your freedom, do it. But recognizing Philemon's rights over Onesimus, his property under Roman law, at some cost to himself, a great personal cost. He loves this young man. Paul is sending the slave. There's the Brookton Church, by the way. That's where we, we uh, preach the first sermon and, and uh, where the gospel is preached every Sunday. Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He loves this young man, but he asks Philemon to receive him back not as a slave but as a brother both in the faith and in the flesh in other words Philemon I want you to receive him back as a free man a free Christian man now Paul is not averse to reminding Philemon that while they live under Roman civil law believers are foremost first and foremost accountable to a much greater law the law of God And he says in verse 8, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is right, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Christ Jesus. 
I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He loves this young man, but he takes the grace approach. He could demand that as an apostle, you know, that Philemon do what he says and release this man. But he says, no, I'm going to ask you out of grace to free him. Well, point four, the consequences of cultural upheaval. See, when you become a follower of Christ, you, you become in, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You, you receive a heightened sense of right and wrong. I know that. You know that. Paul knows that. And while it's wonderful that Onesimus is going back to Philemon, there are consequences for his running away. There's, there's unfinished business back there because he's a, he's a runaway slave. When a slave runs away, what does he leave with? Nothing much. Possibly he pinched some food. Probably he pinched some money. Or simply Paul could be talking about the cost to his master of his running away and not doing the work he was supposed to be doing. So, now that Philemon's converted, wrongs need to be righted. Debts need to be paid. Now, many of us, when we become Christians, we realize we've left a trail of wrongs behind them and tried to write them whether in word or in deed sometimes you just can't write them but if you can we should how can a slave repay the debt he owes his master he's a slave he hasn't got anything so technically he has to stay in slavery to pay off his debts but paul steps in on behalf of his spiritual son in verse 18 if he's wronged you at all and I'm sure Paul knows he has. If he owes you anything, and I'm sure Paul knows that he does, charge that to my account. Paul will pay off his debts, guaranteeing this young man's freedom. Now, how can Paul do that? I don't, I don't know what Paul has to, to pay off debts with. I mean, he hasn't got much, a few scrolls and a cloak as far as I know. He may have had a bit salted away somewhere. I don't know. But I don't know... What Paul has at his disposal, but I, un, I know this, Paul will pay it because just as you receive Christ, you continue to live in him. Christ gave everything for us, gave his life, and in the light of Christ's sacrifice, it's only a small matter to pay somebody else's earthly debt to free them. That's overturning culture. I think Paul is hoping at least that Philemon realizing how blessed it is to be a Christian how wonderful it was that Paul brought the gospel to him will actually forgive Onesimus's debt but Paul doesn't know that he's got some kind of plan b that he, if he has to pay the debt he will so he sends Onesimus back to Philemon we don't know the outcome we hope and pray it was a good one I expect it was but Philemon is a working out of the heart of Christianity found expressed in so many places in the Bible. John Chapman, the evangelist, preached here several times. He said, the Bible does not contain thousands of truths. It contains one truth told thousands of times. Summarized in Galatians 5, 6. What really counts is faith in Jesus, expressing itself as love for others. Or in the book of Colossians, just as you receive Christ, faith, continue to 
walk in him or live in him by loving others so in our own lives this is our challenge for the morning the challenge from Philemon you and I must work out how we live out our loving others how do we love others how do we right the wrongs we we look back we do what we can but as evidence of our faith in Christ we must love others sometimes it can hurt sometimes it's cost you money but we still keep loving because Christ loved us to the very end let's pray thank you father for the salutary lessons again in Philemon that we have been bought with a price and Lord it's incumbent upon us that we live that out in our lives that we give as freely as Christ gave to us father we want to give freely because that's what we've now been rewired to do we thank you lord that it's a blessing it is much more blessed to give than to receive and so father help us to right wrongs lord god to be generous on every occasion just as we have received christ enable us by your grace father to continue to walk in him amen